Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, June third. No, who cares? Um, edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Um, busy, busy show to get to. Busy weekend. Ole Miss is on to the Super Regional. The program's first Super Regional since t- 2014. Um, 14. Yeah, 2014. They. Uh, they ran through the Oxford Regional. Um, that's, I mean, obviously baseball-centric show today. Um, a lot to get to. What's up? Not much, not much. It was a, it was a long weekend, but at least it wasn't too hot for, for those of us sitting outside. It was kind of nice weather all weekend. Um, yeah, I was fortunately inside for most of it. But, yeah, it didn't seem too bad. I mean, I've, I've, I imagine it was somewhat hot, but it seemed like there was a breeze and he hadn't hit the full-on summer heat yet, I don't guess. No, no, and there were three bad baseball teams in Oxford this weekend. Uh, y- yeah, there were. There were, <laughs> yeah, I, so that's... that's, no, my... so that's not fair. Jacksonville State was not a bad team. They were not talented. Illinois State, Illinois and Clemson were bad teams. I mean, if you're not talented, you can be bad. Okay, fair enough. They, they were fundamentally sound. I guess that's fair. Um, yeah... So that was really my kind of main takeaway from all of this was, one, Ole Miss is playing really well. They're hitting the ball well, and yep. they're pit- they're pitching it well. Uh, that's obviously fairly obvious at this point. But at the same time, holy shit, those teams were bad. <laughs> Illinois was a horrible two-seed. Clemson, after like two pitchers, was very bad. And Jacksonville State was just overmatched. To your point, they're not a bad four-seed. They're like, I mean, a four-seed that wins two games in any regional is not a bad four-seed. But man, they were uh, they were just overmatched. Ole Miss outscores their opponents forty-one to seven in the regional. Um, yeah, forty-one to seven. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a couple other statistics. Thomas Dillard had a, a program record nine RBIs in the regional. He had three home runs, which is one more he had for the entire SEC season. Um, Ole Miss drew a billion walks against Jacksonville State. That's really what killed Jacksonville State. In the final portion of, of – of, in the two games against Ole Miss, they couldn't throw the ball over the plate. They walked a bunch of guys. Um, but, yeah, Ole Miss really just rolled through this. I mean, I, I, you know, after the game ended, it was after midnight. So, I mean, you're 364 days from what's being dubbed as Black Monday. Mike Bianco called it the worst day of his professional career. You know, Thomas Dillard talked about what ter- terrible feeling it was. And, you know, a year later, um, 364 days later, they rolled through it with absolutely no drama. Yeah, it doesn't get much easier than what Ole Miss did this weekend. Like you said, look, it's to say those teams weren't very good is not shouldn't discredit Ole Miss. Ole Miss played extremely, extremely well this weekend. I'd argue it's probably their best weekend of the year, uh, outside of maybe last weekend. Uh, this, this team is playing at a high level right now, and, and they deserve to win this weekend. And they're going to make it. They've made the Super Regional round, like we said, for the first time since 2014, and and, and they're going to go play opponent that, frankly, they can beat. Uh, this this isn't Vanderbilt. This this is a team that Ole Miss has won four straight series, I believe, against Arkansas, including two in Fayetteville. Uh, this is a very winnable Super Regional that Ole Miss is about to play. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a second, but as a little precursor, there has been one baseball team that has gone to Bomb Stadium since mid-April. 
of 2017 and won a series, or at least one That's SEC incredible. team, and it has been Ole Miss, and they've done it twice in their last two trips. Um, yeah, it's something about that. They're just, I mean, it's kind of like what State is to Ole Miss right now and what LSU has been to State. There's just some teams that I don't know, I, mean, it, I, I don't want to say scared to play because I don't think these guys are actually scared to play anybody, but there's just something about that they're not intimidated about going that environment and 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 playing good baseball and winning. We'll get to that in a second, but... Yeah, so I guess we'll start with how, like what I've gathered from this weekend. What I don't understand is last year Ole Miss was the number four overall national seed and gets stuck with a fifty-win Tennessee Tech team <laughs> as a two seed. And then you look around this year and Ole Miss was kind of what you thought was one of the last hosts. I know they were one the number twelve overall seed, but they, between them and A and M was really what you thought was going to be the last host spot. And they get an absolute cakewalk of a region. I don't say that, like you said, to really discredit Ole Miss because they played well. And, you know, all you can do is show up and play the teams you played. But then you look at State, who rolled through the region on their own right, but, like, got a pretty salty Miami club, even though they're kind of young, and a Central Michigan team that had won 18 games in a row. Like, what does the committee see? I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, Ole Miss, look, Ole Miss caught a break in, in more than one way. Uh, you know, being the 12th seed, first of all. Well, first of all, hosting. Second of all, being the 12th seed, and third, third of all, getting a pretty, pretty lax regional that if Ole Miss just showed up, um, they were going to win. Now, look, here's what's interesting to me, and, and we'll get a little bit into this. I think you could have dropped Ole Miss anywhere this weekend that they could have gone, like non-SEC teams, and I think they win the regional. I don't, I don't really think it would have mattered where you sent Ole Miss this weekend. If, if they were playing at that level, I don't know who beat them uh, in a regional. Um... Vanderbilt. Well, I said not. I mean, you yeah, I know. I know, <laughs> I know what you meant. Your point is well stated. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they're playing their best baseball of the season right now, and that, that sounds so cliched, but it's been really interesting to follow this because this has been the craziest team, most confusing team, most perplexing team I've ever covered, and I've appreciated it because for better or for worse, it's always been entertaining because, look, three weeks ago this team was dead in the water like it had no pulse. Um you know, Mike Baker called it a dark place last night, which I thought was a little bit of an interesting way to term it. But I think it just kind of shows, you know, they were heading into Knoxville. They lost the first two. They lost six in a row. That Literally, was nothing was going right. It looked like they were just going to kind of roll over and, you know. I mean, I said this last week, but it, it really did look like they were just counting really the innings, the outs, and the games away from just kind of being put out of their misery. They find something in Hoover you know, go on like a six-day run where they win four out of five games and really change the trajectory of their season. They 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 stormed back into the hosting conversation and really just kind of broke down the door because they were way out of it. Heading into the weekend, whatever it is, they found something, and I don't necessarily know how to describe it, but I'll try in a couple ways. And it's, it's certainly, it's, they're looser, they're playing yeah. more freely, and... I, I, I'm trying to think of a best way to describe it. So the best way I can describe it, and I, it's not a perfect example because Jacksonville State was a very overmatched opponent, but Ole Miss last night, you know, loads the bases in the first two innings and only gets one run. I think they loaded the bases each of the first four innings, but they scored yep. in the latter two and didn't didn't score a run. And like in the past, you might have seen them get tight and Jacksonville State get back into the game. And they just didn't really phase them, and they just kept went out, and then, of course, they murdered them. And like I said, not a perfect example because Tennessee Tech was really good, and Jacksonville State was just way overmatched. 
But like, there's something to that. They're not really necessarily worried as much about the impending outcome, but just kind of enjoying how well they're playing and enjoying the moment. They're a lot more relaxed. You can tell Mike Bianco's a lot more relaxed. He's cracking jokes. He's he's smiling a lot more. You know, he's kind of. I mean, I've I've used this example five times now, but like, you know, after the loss to Arkansas, he was kind of cracking a joke about himself and his general studies degree at LSU. And I say that because I think it's telling that. They are relaxed, and I think they're just enjoying the fact that they're playing better baseball. And I, I think their play is—that's not a coincidence that they're playing at the level they're playing at, as they've kind of adopted this kind of newfound, freer, more relaxed mindset. No, it's not not a coincidence at all. Look, this team's talent has never been a question. It's been chemistry, and and when were they ever going to put it together? And, and frankly, when they're playing that Sunday game or Saturday game, whatever in Knoxville, uh, it was it was hard to believe that this team was going to put it together. Uh, and, and go on a run like they have, but to their credit, I mean, whatever happened after that, those first two games at Knoxville has, has completely uh, changed the narrative about the season, and, and I don't know when it happened. I, I have my idea of when this team started to believe again in, in Hoover, but it, something happened over there, and, and after a few games, they, they finally realized that, you know, maybe they actually are talented, and, and they're a good baseball team, and, and, and can win at a high level, and that point on, they've kind of shown they can. Yeah, they have, and I, I don't like. Wait, I don't know when the actual flip was. Like, I don't know I, if it was. I got, have a theory. Okay, shoot. I, I think I think it's when Parker Crazy shut down A and M because for so long it was, it was. Well, you're worried about if he's going to be able to get out, and I feel I feel like once he shoved it against A and M, and they it was like back to normal. Like Parker Crazy's closing out close games and. They believe they could win close games again uh, because, like we've said, then they're going to need Parker Crazy to continue winning this postseason. I kind of felt like when he shut down A and M, they were like, "Oh, maybe, maybe we can win baseball games close again." And I, I kind of think they've just built built since then. Yeah, that's certainly fair. And like, yeah, I think that's there's something to that. I don't know if it was exactly the A and M game, like you're saying. Like, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I don't like it, it's somewhere in that area. Like, they win the two one game against Missouri. You know, there's a loss sandwiched in between there to Arkansas. But, yeah, somewhere between there where they won a couple tight games in a row. Like, I think it was just a matter of seeing Parker Caracy be better, seeing them kind of have some things go their way in close game because they won a 2-1 game and a 1-0 game. Both of those were to stay alive in the tournament yep. because they had lost to Arkansas. And then after that, I think they just kind of played freer, and then they win a, you know, a two-run game against Arkansas and a well, no, a one-run game against Arkansas, right, or two? I don't know. Yep. And then in the two-run game against Georgia, and then really they just kind of ran out of gas against Vanderbilt. But it's been that, and aside from the mindset, the pitching has been night and day better than it was the last three weeks of the regular season. The bullpen was completely broken. Nobody could get outs. And the bullpen is pitching better, but it also has not been taxed as much as it was at times this year because the starting pitching, I mean, Will Etheridge and Doug Nikhazy have given you a combined – 16 plus 14 is... Th- oh, look at that math on the air. 30 innings yeah. in their last combined four outings. That'll save a bullpen. Yeah, yeah. When you're getting, what, three innings over two starts? Yeah, that'll play. And Etheridge could have finished the game if they'd have wanted him to. Um, but, you know, it, uh, that was domination this weekend. Because Ole Miss used... I mean, they used a few more bullpen arms that make... That, that whatever the number would be that sounds good because they were letting guys get work. But Ole Miss could have got out of that thing using, what, three bullpen arms if they wanted to? Uh, yeah, I mean, in all actuality, you, you, you use 
Broadway to just kind of clean up the laugher against Jacksonville State. Karasty pitches the ninth after Doug Nikhazy's eight innings, and then Roth could have finished the game yesterday. Yeah, well, that's what, like, there was one, I guess, sort of high leverage inning, Karasty against Clemson. Other than that, I mean, there was no high leverage moments for the bullpen this weekend. Yeah, and at the same time, that's not even really a save scenario, but I know what no. you're getting at. And so, yeah, I mean, there was no drama. So, like, a year removed from a regional with all kinds of drama, and I think that's what we've, we've hit on already a bunch, but it's it was the opponent. I mean, it was a 50-win Tennessee Tech team that was really good. Tennessee Tech was light years better than all three of these teams in this regional oh, this weekend. Tennessee Tech last year would have run through those three teams this weekend. So, so I guess we'll go, let's go through this. Three biggest takeaways from this weekend. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's a repeated record at, or a broken record at this point. Uh, Doug Nikhazy special. Like, like what we haven't even talked about what he did against Clemson for for while for long, and it, that that was that was maybe the most dominant postseason pitching performance outside of Pomerant. Uh, it, it, that, that was just special. So I think, uh, you know, him being your number two guy and, and, and being able to perform like that on that stage as a freshman in the postseason, is, is, that's probably my biggest takeaway is that, you know, I, I, I didn't think the moment would get the best of him, and it did. He, uh, he delivered. Uh, the top of the lineup is, was really good. You know, Keenan, Zabowski, Dillard all hit homers. Dillard hit three. Maybe that's a big thing going forward is, is Dillard's maybe found some power again. I don't know. I mean, he hit one – all three were against Jacksonville State, but still, I mean, he hadn't hit home runs really against anybody. Uh, and the third one is, I think they, they really, I, what am I trying to say? It, it felt like just a team that was kind of taking care of business. Like, they, they didn't go out, they were, at no point did they expect to lose this regional, but it it kind of had the vibe that they're not happy yet. Like, last they didn't really dogpile. It just kind of felt like a, over the three-game stretch, that they know that they still have more to play for. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so, I guess we can start. We can start with your first point. Getting into that is, Doug Nikhazy was brilliant in eight innings of one-run ball. I think he allowed three, four, four hits. Yeah. Uh, ended up, you know, they let him. I thought it was kind of funny, honestly. Bianco let him come back out for the ninth. You know, he walks the leadoff guy, and they go to Caracy. He's at, what, 100? He threw 116 pitches. I think that's just one of those is kind of like, you know, finish your masterpiece, man. Like, this is probably not the best thing for you. But, like, one pitch, like, because like, my dad texted me and was like, why in the world is he back out there? And I'm like, I, I think the logic is, one, let the kid finish his work. Two, if you go into tomorrow with a fully stocked bullpen, and you were going to anyway, it was just one inning from Parker Crazy, you can kind of just bludgeon whoever you play with your top bullpen arms. And two, and three, and probably the biggest thing is the one, like a, a one spiked pitch count from one week to another is probably not the biggest deal. Well, and, and I don't think Mike thought about this, but it was cool to let everybody clap for him because he got one heck of an ovation coming. Well, he off got like field. three because I think people <laughs> kept thinking he was done. But yeah, to your point, you let the kid walk. You let the kid hand the ball to Crazy and kind of walk off the mound. You know, ten, eleven thousand people in the stands let them kind of serenade him off the field. And yeah, that was probably the the along with Dillard, that was probably the biggest storyline of the weekend. Is look, I mean, people who have followed the team and covered the team and and watched the team for the last two months. I mean, there were you were like 
that wasn't surprising at all, but to see the kid do it on a huge stage like that in what was Ole Miss's biggest game of the season to that point, like really not even close. I mean, that's 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 for driver's seat of the regional, and he just shut a really good offense down. And, you know, aside from the stuff, like, like I was talking to someone about this over the weekend. Like, Nikhazy's probably the perfect Saturday guy for the next three to four yeah. years because, like, his – his stuff isn't great. Like, the breaking ball isn't always great. But he pitches smart, and the moment is never too big for him. And he just, and it's cliche, but he just kind of competes. And so I, I didn't think the moment would be too big for him either. But to see him handle it with the composure that he did just kind of speaks to how this kid is kind of beyond his years, I guess, a little bit. I mean, you saw it against LSU. He pitched a, a brilliant game in front of, you know, 10,000. You know, I, I remember listening to him talk about it afterwards that, you know, he kind of had to step off the mound a couple of times and collect himself. But he, he found it, like, fun to, to try. Like, the crowd was trying to, to get into him and get after him, and he was kind of turning the blinders on. And he, he like, that was kind of like a game within the game. He, he kind of relished that and found it fun. And I think that's kind of his whole mindset towards pitching, and, you know, I asked Mike after the game, you know, looking back now, once you put Nikhazy in the rotation against Missouri, how much did that kind of change your season and how much that stabilized you? And Mike just kind of looked at me for a second and then he goes, really? <laughs> and I was like, you have to forgive me, man. I'm running out of way, like different ways to ask the same question. But, you know, that was just kind of indicative of how much. Did you at least answer? Oh, no, he gave me a good answer after that. Like, if he, he, he was – as we talked about, it's hard to tell when he's joking or kind of prodding me sometimes. But he he was you know he was kidding. He just looked at me and he goes really, and uh, you know that that was it. And but you know that's kind of the perfect way to answer it sometimes because it is like you know of course like where where would they be without Doug Nikhazy because they would have been in a world of trouble. They would not be playing on Friday. No, they would not, and they would have not have been playing in Oxford this weekend, and they probably would have been playing an early game Saturday. Actually, I don't know. They've been. That, Hell, if they're playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's See, that's the difference between, like, if you take Nikhazy off this team, you know, I mean, people forgot how bad the starting pitching was the first month and a half of the season. I mean, after Etheridge, Phillips and Hoagland were giving you nothing outside of Phillips having a good outing against UAB and Hoagland kind of putting it together for pieces and sometimes giving you four and a third, maybe five. Like, you were getting nothing from anyone after Etheridge on the weekend until he was inserted in there, and then everything changed once he was inserted in there. He threw seven and two-thirds innings of two-hit shutout baseball at Missouri. He's had a couple minor hiccups where he wasn't great along the way, but really then it's just been kind of an upward ascension. Like, it's really changed the entire dynamic of this this team. Yeah, and and I don't think they expected that when Doug McKenzie signed with Ole Miss that he'd be this impactful as a freshman. Um Man, he has been, and, and Ole Miss needs him. I tell you, look, it, to me, just kind of looking ahead at this weekend, if you're Arkansas, you better win game one because if, if Doug McKenzie's pitching with a chance to send Ole Miss to Omaha. With Connor Nolan on the other side. Yeah, who Ole Miss has seen twice. I think Ole Miss is going to Omaha in that case. No, if, I, think, I think Arkansas is going to have to win this in a game three because I don't think Doug McKenzie's getting beat that quick. It's kind of like that Christian Trent thing in, in 14 where it's like, well, uh, you better win in game three, ULL, because the, the guy that throws with his left hand out there, he's not losing. So, so I may or may not have told this story on the podcast before, but I what I yeah, I did a story on on Holt. If you'll remember the 2014 team, obviously Holt Perzok had the big pinch hit 
what double, triple, whatever it was in Lafayette, and another pinch hit after that. So, but leading into the season, I did a story on Perdzak and kind of what that hit meant to the program and just kind of how his career shaped out afterward. And I was talking to Sykes Orvis for it, and he told a great story. They law after they lost game one at Lafayette and Ellis didn't pitch well. It was kind of quiet, and I I don't remember if he said they were walking to the bus or they were getting their pregame meal. What? Yes, they were walking off the walking off or walking through the line to get the pregame meal, and Trent's just kind of walking through the Christian Trent, who if you'll remember, is Ole Miss's Saturday guy that year was ten and zero was fantastic that year. I mean that between him and Ellis, those were two hosses on that on that rotation, and. Trent's walking through the line just patting his shoulder. And I think Sykes are like maybe it was like Laffer, an assistant coach, was like, like what what the hell are you doing? And he goes, The season rests right here, boys. I got this shit. And walked off. <laughs> and sure enough, he shoved the next night and they, they won game two. And eventually they, they won game three and you kinda know the story after that. They go to Omaha and you know the really the way the entire programs looked. But I, I say that to say this is Nikhazy's kind of similar in that Saturday role to where he's he's just kind of unconscious to the moment. Like, yeah. if Ole Miss was, had lost the first game and that was an elimination game, Doug would have just kind of, you know, just kind of hopped on out there, kind of gone about his business. It's not like, like, I don't want to say he's aloof and, like, just kind of, like, like, it's not like an airheadedness. He's an incredibly smart kid. Like, he was, like, all honor roll and all that in high school. Like, you know. The, every, you know, the son your mom wishes you were is kind of what Nikhazy is. And, but but he just has something about him where, like, I don't know if he doesn't care or doesn't want to think about it, but he and Trent kind of shared the same, like, uh, whatever, I don't care what kind of moment it is, I'm just going to kind of go up there and pitch. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly the, uh, the, just the, what am I trying to say, the monikers I'd use for him. I mean, he, he's just kind of out there doing his thing, and whoever's in the batter's box is in the batter's box, he's probably going to beat you. Uh, so that, that's kind of the thing going with Ole Miss and the, and the Fayetteville is, man, you've got to rock on Saturday. He's going to be, to me, is there a better Saturday guy really in the country? Because obviously, look, there's some better Friday guys in the country. It's got a tough perspective and a first round and all that type of stuff. But I don't know if there's a guy that's on Saturday for any team you'd rather have, really, right? Um, like I, It would take I, me a while to go through, but I mean, like, I mean, not really that counts. Like, Missouri wasn't in the tournament, but, like, having okay, Sikkim on Saturday. And all, you know what I mean? Like, the teams that start the race. But, yeah, I get your point. You know, a number two guy, I mean, he's he's certainly up there. I mean, Ginn at times has been really dominant. He's struggled a little bit late. Dealing with some shoulder soreness, it sounds like, or maybe his elbow. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, you're, but, it, I mean, it, it, he's as good as anyone you'd want on a number two. So, I'll go through my three takeaways. One, it's Dillard is now hitting the ball out of the ballpark again. And this has been a really interesting kind of storyline to follow because he, was, he wasn't, he was like, unproductive throughout the year, but he wasn't hitting the ball out of the ballpark and wasn't driving in a ton of runs in the middle of the order. So in an effort to really just shake this team, shake things up as this team was really floundering at the end of the year, Bianca moves into the leadoff role. He's really thrived there, you know, getting on base, getting a lot of hits, not striking out very much at all, walking a ton. And now he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark again. And I don't know what – I mean, he said it hasn't been an adjustment thing. He said he took off his batting gloves. He said he and Kevin Graham joke about that a bunch. Is when you're in a slump, just take off the batting gloves. I, I assume that worked because he hit three home runs this weekend. Um, so I'm not sure if he'll ever hit with batting gloves again. But it's would, been interesting like, uh, to watch it follow like follow along with that because it's, it's, it's been kind of a weird year for Dillard. Would you 
Would you like to do a slash line since you've gotten into the leadoff position? Go ahead. All right. Let's see. 429, 489, and 762 for a 1.251 OPA. Okay. That uh, that dog will hunt. <laughs> I mean, if he keeps doing that, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um. So my number two is... I want to save the best for last because this is gonna get, this is gonna get a bit uh, get out of control once I drop the last one on you. Uh, number two. Hmm. Um. Okay. So I'll 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 be the guy that kind of lobs the turd in the punch bowl. The base running is atrocious. They got to do something about that. It is bad. I mean, they ran into so many outs this weekend, and I don't know what it is. I I get them wanting to be aggressive. But you gotta you gotta pump the brakes a bit, literally and figuratively. Like what the base running is is a problem for them. It's amusing for me to watch up there because I find it hilarious. Like it's kind of like what are you doing? But like, yeah, like the, it, it might cost them a game. Clem threw up two stop signs this weekend, though. He did, and then I watched him the other day. It was kind of great. He uh, I don't know if he was being facetious or he always does this, but uh. Some got someone hit a fly ball to right for the third out of the inning with a runner on first. As the runner was rounding second, coming to third, Clem threw up the stop sign. I was like, "Yeah, I hope he stops. I mean, he can keep running if he wants to. The inning's over, so I don't know if that counts as a stop sign, but they got to do something about that, right?" Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Keenan getting thrown out at third during the I guess it was, was it the Clemson game or the Jacksonville State gets thrown out at third twice. Like, what are you doing? Uh, yesterday, to me. I didn't know if I had too much of a problem with what happened yesterday. Like, like Coop gets thrown out at home because the ball hits the NCAA logo and bounces back playing. Yeah, the and then up. and then the 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 other one where he get caught between th- who got caught between third and home and on it. The guy literally catches the ball on third. But what's Keenan supposed to do? He's going to tag. No, exactly. And they're supposed to read the angle there. Like that's not like it looks bad. But that's not necessarily their fault. But there were plenty this weekend that were their oh, yeah, own fault. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. So that that's probably needs to be shored up because like you can't like if you do that in a super regional game and you run yourself out of two scoring chances in a super regional game in a two out of three series like that's probably like I mean that could be your season. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then my third, and you'll have to excuse me because I'm going to go to monologue and mute Collins Mike for this, but Tim Elko hit well. I got chirped at on Twitter by a couple people about, I guess, who have listened to this podcast uh, because we got into a very contentious argument about whether Kevin Graham should hit lefty regardless of lefty or righty. Colin said Elko or Cockrell, and he said Elko. I mean, he said Elko, but left Cockrell as a possibility. Um, And Elko had, what, four hits this weekend? Yeah, yeah. And I think he had two of them against righty. Because, uh, you know, he just kind of got left in there when the game got out of hand. Yeah, and so I'm not going to discount it. Like, three of them, I believe, came against Jacksonville State. Or two of them, excuse me. And then a couple against Clemson. I don't, I'm not going to discount that, but different level of pitching. But overall, to to the point, like, if he actually is able to get going, that is actually a fairly big boost for Ole Miss. Because Mike Bianco called it a shot in the arm, potentially, because that's a big right-handed bat with power and that gives Mike Bianco at like increased flexibility to go lefty versus righty matchups. Like you saw it this weekend when they went when Ole Miss was facing a left-hander, he stuck Elko and Laposter in the lineup and dropped Keenan to six because Keenan hasn't hit lefties well 
Uh, so that's kind of your lineup, but I, I imagine he can feel much better about doing so if Elko's actually producing. I know that's big brain stuff there, but but it, I mean the point really does like kind of remain that 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 that's could potentially be big for Ole Miss. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then I wonder, you know, if he's going to hit, is it a situation where you move Servidio to second and put him back in right field because I, I think he's got more potential than Jacob Adams. Yeah, it all like it, it, it's. Jacob Adams, the last two years, it seems like he's just like he's, and he's 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 good enough defensively, and he's yeah. hit like just okay enough to justify him being where he is all the time. But I think sure. it's certainly something they definitely it's certainly something they should potentially look at, particularly if Adams starts to kind of skid, or or his production tails off even more. So I, I think it's certainly possible. It's a small sample size with Elko, but you know, for a guy that really didn't show a lot of signs of life. You know, before this weekend, his last hit was March 26th. Granted, he doesn't get a ton of ABs, but there were enough in there to get a couple hits. And, you know, that could potentially be big, but, like, you know, how much do you do you take for, take away from that? Uh, I mean, you can't take – you can't base the whole postseason around it. But I do think there's something to, to a guy being that talented, and, and I don't think the talent of Tim Elko should be debated. I think the kid's an extremely talented baseball player. Um, Him and Cockrell, when you walk off the bus, that's who you want out first. You want them to be the first dudes to take BP and the first dudes to step off the uh, bus. Not Cockrell anymore because he's not on the roster. But anyways, um, poor kid. But yeah, I think I think with the talent and, and him being a sophomore and going to be, he, look, Ole Miss is going to need Tim Elko next year. If he's hot, I think you got to play the kid. I think you got to let it roll and, and figure out a way to get him and Graham both in the lineup. I don't know. Figure out something um, because. If he's swinging it well, he needs to be on the field because that, there's real power in that bat. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that was kind of my three big takeaways from this weekend. Um, it was a good weekend for Ole Miss. You know, they I, I like it, it was interesting. Keep trying like I like we we kept trying to ask questions last night with regards to last year, and the team's message has been pretty consistent all year that you know last year was over and it didn't necessarily you know, occupy a ton of their conscious focus throughout this year. But, you know, there's been fleeting moments throughout the year when they've been asked about it that they've kind of hinted at. The fact that it does drive some of them, and, you know, you'd be naive to think otherwise, you know, whether it's there subconsciously. Um, I think there was some some impatience in battling some complacency this regular season because once you have a dramatic fall like that it's hard to remain engaged and interested over 56 games when you kind of know like your moment is not coming until june um and you know a year after what was a really really bad defeat and you know mike bianco called it his worst day in baseball they they kind of rolled through this region with no drama and so you know they were really happy you know they 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 went out into the outfield, and it was a cool scene for them. They they described a lot of that. Mike Bianco was interesting. He said, you know, I'm not sure I've ever had a team that was eager to go celebrate out there with that, and I, I think that probably speaks to what kind of they went through last year. So, really, you can kind of put the Tennessee Tech conversations to bed now, and I don't think you were fully ever going to do that until you kind of won a regional again at Swayze Field. Yeah, no, and – and good for this number one recruiting class. You know, they a lot of monikers have been used about them, and 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 they're going to play in a super regional round, and they're two wins from from going to the College World Series and leaving a, a pretty good legacy here at Ole Miss. And so it's it's going to look. We've got plenty of time to talk about Arkansas, but it, it was a good weekend for Ole Miss. Ole Miss needed that from a program standpoint. Mike Bianco needed that. I mean, 
it, it, it was a good weekend. It, it, it was fairly easy, um, and, and Ole Miss needed that. And they go into the Super Regional against, against an opponent they played five times this year, and, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be a Super Regional that probably goes three games, and you can convince me either team's going to win it. Yeah, so the, I guess putting a bow on it, Ole Miss will go to Arkansas next week, and Arkansas rolled through their regional. Um, they beat TCU, who should not have been in the tournament, um, last night uh, to kind of put them out of their misery. Um, so, yeah, so this is kind of – it's interesting because if you look at all these Ole Miss teams, if you take the last 10 Ole Miss teams, like if you go to that 2019 to 2010 or whatever, if it's 09, whatever the 10th team is, and you look at the teams – that quote unquote had the horses or the firepower to go to Omaha. I'm not sure this team is necessarily at the top of that list. No, it's not either. at the bottom, but it's it's probably somewhere in the middle. But it's interesting is they're. Ta- I'm not saying they're not talented. They're certainly talented enough. Oh, yeah. But if you talk about the horses and the firepower and the front line pitching, it's probably somewhere near the middle of the pack. But they finally caught a good break with their draw because their path to this thing is tailor made. I mean, we just talked about how weak the regional was. I mean, you, Illinois was a very bad two seed. Clemson, you knew, was a kind of a flat three seed, as Aaron Fitt, I believe, described him. Jacksonville State, good four seed, but overmatch. And then you get paired with the regional against a team you've beaten three out of five times, and just something about them. I don't know if it's. It, I don't know how to describe what Ole Miss does against Arkansas, but they're not. They're not ter- they're not scared of going into Bomb Stadium like that's not going to kind of paralyze them or freeze them up. So really, it, it couldn't have been a better draw. No, no. I mean, especially how you finished and thinking you were going to be the 16th seed. You know what? I, I say I say it couldn't be a better draw. The SEC was so good this weekend, and, and the Pac-12 was so bad. I wonder if Ole Miss would rather be going to Los Angeles because UCLA is horrible. Not horrible, but. They are not the best team in, in college baseball. Vanderbilt is, but to your point, yeah, uh, I kept hearing about you know UCLA could beat Vanderbilt. Um, I haven't watched a ton of UCLA, but I did watch them lose to Loyola Marymount yeah, on uh, Saturday. They're playing right now, I believe. They're, well, no, they're not playing right now. It's eight o'clock in Los Angeles. Um, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm positive that they're not starting a game at eight a.m. in Los Angeles, boss. Um. Oh well, I thought so. I saw something that. I swear the time said noon. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe there I, is games at noon. It is not at UCLA. Uh, I got you. Um, but yeah, they play at ten o'clock tonight. But anyways, uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of think this is as good as you could probably hope for if you're an Ole Miss fan. Sure, you wanted TCU to win that regional. They were never going to win that regional. They had one shot to win it. It was Nick Lodolo to throw his best game of his life, and he didn't. And so now you got to go play a one win two game, and it's going to be. It's going to be tough, but I don't think there's a more realistic place you'd rather go in the SEC. Obviously, you'd rather go to Kentucky or Tennessee, but those teams are never going to host Super Regionals. So, of the teams in the SEC that can host Super Regionals, I don't think you could have picked a better place. Yeah, so kind of wrapping that up, we'll get into Arkansas later this week. We'll probably have a guest or two on the podcast. Um, I guess we'll go biggest takeaways outside of the state, like outside of this regional, uh, just kind of college baseball as a whole. I, 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 I sent a, this is very millennial of me, but instead of texting some friends, I sent a Snapchat to some friends. Somebody hit a walk-off this weekend. I sent a Snapchat to a couple buddies um, and just kind of was like, look, it's, it, the, the regular season college baseball can be very monotonous and very boring at times, but this regional and super regional week, regional and really the postseason as a whole, is kind of an underrated three weeks of television. There's a ton of drama, a lot of walk-offs, 
And, like, it's almost like the flaws and imperfections of the college game make it kind of more fun in this sense because it's more unpredictable and you get a yep. lot more drama because they're not as good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a seven, like a seven to two lead in the bigs when it's game one hundred of one hundred sixty-two. It's kind of like whatever. Oh. But when your season's on the line in a five-run lead, you see those get erased all the time. It makes for incredible television. It does. Uh, kind of outside of the region, Georgia has got to figure something out. This is two years in a row, you lose the national seed at home. Um, got absolutely bludgeoned twice yeah. by Mike Martin's FSU team that barely got into the field. Like, got yeah. absolutely destroyed. It was like 13-3 to both times, right? I know that wasn't the exact score, but it, around that, right? It was not close. Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, it was it was two, two thrashings. Yeah, Georgia's got to figure something out because them not playing in a Super Regional in like year six of Scott Strickland, that, that's not acceptable. They um, got two guys that are going to pitch in the bigs. Yeah, they do. They've got three guys. Losey's going to pitch in the bigs, too. Well, uh, I was Logan. counting Losey and Hancock. Will, Will, Losey, Hancock, and Wilcox are all going to throw in the big leagues. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand. Uh, Butch Thompson continues to get his team to play well at Auburn. That uh, So that Saturday winner's – go ahead, but that Saturday winner's bracket game, insanity. Auburn down 5-3, down to their last strike. The kid hangs an 0-2 breaking ball for a three-run – home run for a walk-off Auburn win 6-5. to five. That's really when that regional ended. I know it oh, ended Sunday, but that was – Georgia Tech was not coming back from that. No, they weren't. Um, they beat Coastal on Sunday morning, and Auburn kind of just ran them. Didn't run them, but they beat them on, on – Did you see about Burns, though? He's probably out for the year. Yes, I saw that. He could pitch in relief, apparently. Yeah. That, that's going to be tough on them if he can't go in North Carolina. I don't, I don't know how they'll win that. Um, but Butch is a really good coach. He gets them to play well at this time of year. Uh, one more. I'm trying to think. Oh, Oregon State. Like you, you didn't even show up for your regional. <laughs> Oregon State goes defending national champions. Go two and through. And is Pat Casey going back and sitting on the bench? Yes, he is. He's not going to watch the program he built go zero and two in a regional over his dead body. Um, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, I'm trying to think what happened elsewhere. Oh, so they flamed out, but Cincinnati was a cool story that Friday night. That Wait, kid, th- go uh, that kid goes five for five. His fifth hit was the double off the wall to beat Oregon State. Like that was a cool scene. I thought that was cool this weekend. Um, we got to get into what happened at Louisville. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a second. I will go with good things first. Um, <laughs> the Oklahoma State. Walk off three run home run Saturday oh, night was the greatest college bat flip I've ever seen. <laughs> so what was that count? Wasn't it a, was it a full count or was it? Yeah, it, yeah, no, no, it was the first pitch of it at bat down four, down two with two outs in the ninth. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, two men on base, down two. He hits a three run home run to Tulsa. And that was the most athletic bat flip I have ever seen in my life. He followed through, he recoiled, and the recoil was all one motion, and he just flicked it, and it spun like a top. It was the coolest thing ever. Oh, God, that was amazing. This will shock you. Uh, Nebraska got beat uh, yesterday, the next morning uh, by a lot, like 16-1. to 1. You just I mean, that was really late at night, and you're if you're Nebraska, you're going back on the field at, what, 8 o'clock in the morning to get ready for a game with your season online. You don't really recover from something like that. You like, haven't played again today. UConn and, and uh, Oklahoma State. They do. Uh, I don't know what time. They do play again today. 6 o'clock, I think. Um, yeah, so you don't really recover from that. That's what I was kind of getting at with Georgia Tech yeah. really lost that regional when Auburn walked them all off. It didn't officially end then, but you don't really come back from that. Um, A&M didn't win their regional, but 
you talk about the ultimate five-year-old kid in the backyard scenario down three runs to West Virginia with two outs two strikes bases loaded in the ninth inning Bryce Blom hits a grand slam to walk him off on a full count insanity that was insane you know Bryce Blom probably helps this team he would start at second base yes Servideo would play outfield uh, that's former Ole Miss Rebel Bryce, Bryce Blom, in case you were wondering. He started a few games in 2017, transferred to A&M. He's a Texas kid, um, kind of closer to home. There were some different reasons going on there. But, yeah, he would help Ole Miss. Um, that was a cool moment just because literally it's like – like that's literally like when you're a kid, like, you know, you're down three runs, bases loaded, full count. That's exactly what happened to Blom. I thought it was cool because he hit it to an area of the ballpark where, one, it was a no-doubter home run, but he hits it like kind of sort of over the bullpen. So before the ball gets out of the ballpark, you can see the bullpen, A&M bullpen guys already opening the gate to run home. Like the ball hasn't cleared the yard yet, and they're jumping up and down and running out onto the field. My favorite part is if you go watch the video, there's a bullpen guy that beats Blom home. Yeah, it was insane. They were hauling ass up there. Like it was, it was cool. So, I don't know. Those are cool moments like that. Uh, a not-so-cool moment was Louisville, who got put in the loser's bracket of their game. They're playing. They beat. Uh, they won two games yesterday, including beating Illinois State once. They forced a winner-take-all game today, I believe. But So, I wasn't watching this game. I was watching the A&M game. I caught it after the fact. So, I guess just set the table for this. So, okay. It's 9-7. Uh, to seven. Louisville's closer is on the mound. Uh, there's a guy on first base. It's a 2-2 count. And the kid throws a ball. It's close. It's not a strike. The umpire got the call right. It's not a strike. He throws it on the inside corner. It's off probably two or three inches. He catches the ball and looks at it and says, that's horrible. That's all he said. He turned his back. When he turned back around, the umpire threw him out of the game. It, 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 it was most- and it's a four-game suspension that cannot be overturned. Four-game suspension. Because he said, that's horrible. He didn't say, you're horrible. He didn't say, he didn't cuss. He said, that's horrible. And he got thrown out of the game. Dan McDonald did a great job of not going to prison because I would be in the jail today. Um. So I'll I'll have a couple of thoughts on this. Is one. That's the reason we're going to robots. One. Well, one. You're right in the sense that it was a ball. Like that was my first reaction. Was oh, that was inside off the plate. That wasn't a strike. Um, and so I do wonder if there had been anything else said by that pitcher or another pitcher or the Louisville dugout that kind of had this umpire high strong, like in his feelings, whatever you want to call it. I think the millennial term is in his feelings. Um, but it's not a strike. The kid shouldn't have said that's awful. But if you're an umpire and you know the gravity of the moment and you know that kid's out four games, you can't throw him out of the game in that scenario. The kid doesn't need to show up the umpire like that. Like, you don't need to look at the guy and say, that's awful. Like, because, I mean, you don't really get a leash in college baseball. Like, if you, if you chirp like that, you sh- you're going to be tossed. But in that moment, you can't do that. Send the catcher out there and say, hey, go tell him to shut up. Is it, is it that hard to just tell the catcher, hey, go tell your kid to shut up or I'm throwing him out? You don't have to throw him out right there. That, that, that's my issue. There were plenty of other things you could have done to get him to shut up. And instead you throw him out and he's got a four-game suspension. He is missing a Super Regional. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to miss the entire Super Regional and potentially well, a game or two in Omaha three. if they go. Yeah, if they get a game three, he could play it. But he's missing a Super Regional for the most part. Wait, I mean, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 that's not true. What? 
so he gets thrown out in the first game yesterday. They play a second game. They're playing a third today. He might get to pitch in that. He is going to get to pitch in that. No, it's a four-game Oh, suspension. Oh, I'm thinking three. I'm thinking, well, if they get to a game three in a super, he can pitch. Right. He can pitch. Yeah, no, okay. I'm, I'm back on the math train. I got you. Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, I mean, you can't throw the kid out. Do you know what he would have to have said for you to been like for me to have been okay with you throwing him out? He would have he would to have said like "f you" or like "you f and suck" or like down. pointed at him. He would have had to like point at the umpire and say "you f and suck, man." Like, yeah, there's got to be an F word involved. Yeah, like you can't just like any very. It wasn't like he flailed his arms and showed the guy up. He just said that's awful. Very honestly, like remarkably calmly. It was kind of funny. It was like a deadpan. That's awful, and then he got tossed. So, don't do that if you're the kid, but it was a very, very minor, minor thing to be, like, you can't throw someone out for that, really, like, there's in that no, moment. There's no softer group of people than college baseball umpires. Yeah, and I hate, like, crapping on umpires because they have a difficult job. They take a lot of flack, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta tuck the ego there. You, you, you. You can't throw a kid out in that moment. He may never like. I don't know that. I don't know that kid's story. I don't know his background. I don't know his age. But like, that's potential. He may never pitch again. Yeah, and and look, I have no problems with umpires. No, I mean I get upset, but I have no problems with umpire missing calls. Like you're gonna miss calls. You can control whether or not you throw a kid out of the game. Like that, that's a decision that you make. That that's not execution. You just decide whether you want to end the kid's day or not. And uh, I mean, look. There was a kid in, in Fresno that got thrown out last night or in Stanford for Fresno, and he earned it. Like, he, he's MFing, or I don't know if he's MFing, but there were some F words involved as he's walking off the field. He gets run. I have no problem with that. This kid did nothing and, and gets run, and now Louisville's without a closer for four of the most, or four of their most, their most important games of the season, and, and they don't have their All American closer because an umpire decided to uh, get his feelings. I do wonder if, if he's like, if, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to let him umpire the game today. Like, because the way the umpiring works, they have two umpires, uh, like, sets for regional. So the other umpiring crew would have worked the game last night, and then his crew would have been back on the game today. I wonder if they just don't let his crew back on the game today. I probably would. Do you punish the whole crew, though, or do you just yank his ass off? <sighs> well, I don't know how, um, like, I don't know umpiring intricacies. Can you just put another umpire on a, on a crew, and, and is that okay? Or is they like a team? I don't know how that works. I think that hour-ish before the game, you just let the entire Louisville team give the guy a swirly, and then you stick him at, like, third-base umpire. <laughs> well, you know what you should do if you're the NCAA and if you weren't corrupt, but they are. You and they backed their umpire. They came out with a statement after. You knew they were going to yeah. back the umpire, but that's you, you might as well. I think... Uh, I can't remember if it was Aaron Fitt or Teddy Cahill kind of said it best. You'd have been better off saying nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, good God. I, I was heated. I, I didn't get heated all weekend. That, that one made me mad. And I, kudos, to, for real, kudos to McDonald for not getting sent to prison because they, they, they'd have put me in handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's a tough one. That's a, I wasn't, like, as heated about that, but I just, you know, that's a tough, tough scene for that kid. Um. Anything else on the college baseball front, and then we got the NBA Finals. We probably get out of here. I'm trying to think if there's anything oh, else we the draft missed. tonight. The draft is tonight. The draft yeah. is tonight. It may be happening as you're listening. This it may have already happened if you're listening to this on a Tuesday. Um, first round of the Major League Baseball draft tonight. Um, 
Ole Miss probably not having anyone called today. Um, there's probably a signee or two. Uh, look out for Dunhurst. Yeah. I don't think Ely gets called tonight. And that would lead you to believe he's showing up at campus. That leads me to believe he's showing up to play football at campus. I think he could get picked late, uh, get $250,000 to go play baseball for somebody in the uh, spring. Yeah, kind of like an A.J. Brown type situation. Yeah, a uh, uh, rich man's A.J. Brown, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, On Tuesday, though, rounds 2 through 10. Yeah, I think a lot of kids are going then. Cooper, Gray, Dillard. Dabowski, I think, has got a chance. Yeah. Um, uh, Etheridge. Etheridge. Um, it, unless somebody takes a flyer on Crazy. Yeah, like I don't, I don't really see Roth. Um, uh, no, I, I think Roth's back next year. Yeah, no, I think so too. Yeah, I'm just trying, I'm trying I to go down the list. I think two, rounds two through ten, that's it. Yeah, Plum, John Rice Plumley. Uh, Olenek will probably go because he'll be a senior sign that's good value, and they can probably get him for not much. You think that's two through ten, or you think that's day three? Well, t- t- the thing with two through ten is. They have uh, slot values, and if right. they sign a Linux 2 through 10 and give him $15,000 because he's a senior and he doesn't have any leverage, which sucks. I hate that. Um, they, they can save money and, sign, and use it for other people. So I think a Linux gets taken 2 through 10, yeah. I think he gets taken 6 or 7th round. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so kind of be on the lookout for that tonight. Um, are there any other commits or signees that – Walsh, Connor Walsh. Look for I think well Fowler's gone a Juco left hander. Uh he's gonna get drafted rather high and be gone. Uh Dunhurst and Walsh are the ones to look out for. Um if they get picked in the top ten rounds, they're probably gone. I would I think both show. I do, but I, Dunhurst is probably less likely to show than Walsh. Give the people some background. Uh Connor Walsh, really good middle infielder, really fast. Um I think his number is kinda high. And I think he, I think he shows. Dunhurst is the catcher next year if he shows. Uh, Picayune, Pearl River Central. I'm not sure he plays in one of his high schools down there. Um, really good catcher, really good hitter, left-handed hitter. I think he's the one that uh, that Ole Miss is probably worried about. I think at the end of the day he shows, but I'm not sure. It's going to be 50-50. It's going to be probably like Gunnar Hogman where you're following it down to the deadline. Yeah, and so I wonder what happens like if Ely doesn't get picked this evening or doesn't get picked early Tuesday evening. What is that process like? Like, does he announce immediately that he's showing? Does it go a couple weeks? That I, I wonder what that kind of looks. How that actually plays out? You know, he moved into a dorm yesterday. Not that, that really matters. Um, but I think what it looks like is if he doesn't get drafted by a certain point, he's going to announce, "I'm going to play football at Ole Miss." And then when he gets drafted, he'll work out a deal with a team, whether he wants to play baseball or not. So that'll certainly be interesting to monitor. Um, that's about all I got on the draft front. Anything else we missed college baseball-wise? Uh, no, not really. Uh, Super Regionals, I think we've got four of them set. Times will be announced tonight. We'll find out what uh, what day and what time on this will play uh, late on Monday night. Um, NBA Finals. I didn't watch any of the games, so I don't want like we. I don't unless you did. I we can't on. I didn't watch the second. I went to a bar on Saturday night thinking the game was on and tweeted about it and informed that the game was on Sunday. Yeah, that's 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 a tough scene there. Um, 
Golden State tied it at 1-1. I kind of figured this would happen, uh, but Clay Thompson is now hurt and Kevon Looney is now hurt. So now it's like this. Yeah, Clay Thompson hurt his uh, hurt his hamstring last night, and Kevon Looney hurt. I don't remember what he hurt, but his is seems to be pretty serious. Uh, they could potentially both miss time, and if that is the case, this is going to get interesting. Okay, see, I thought it was over because I didn't realize Clay was hurt because I didn't think they'd lose an oracle. No, Clay uh, hurt his either hamstring or his quad, and then Kevon Looney got hurt too. And like, if you don't have Clay for that, then they all just zero in on Curry and then basically beg Iguodala and Draymond Green to beat you. I think the Raptors may win the title. Yeah, uh, I bet Clay at some point goes though. Yeah, no, yep. he will. It's just interesting because Game 3 is not until Wednesday, but then Game 4 is Friday. So if he's not ready by Game 3, is he really going to be ready two days later? Like, that's kind of a killer. At some point, if you're Kevin Durant, don't you just go play basketball, for the love of God? Like, But if, this, but if he's actually hurt, no. I guess. I think it's more serious than they're letting on, and I think they're kind of putting that on as a front. Um, so, Boogie, it's, it's such a weird revolving door of injuries with them because Boogie – who like no one actually thought they were is going to play in this series, and they really thought that was just kind of a fake front. Gave them 27 minutes last night and really kind of saved their ass in a lot of ways. Did he really? Yeah, and so, oh. so he's back. When and if do you get Durant back? When does Dr- Clay play? Like I think the Warriors win the title, but you have to get your guys on the court for that to be the case. Because if you tell me Clay doesn't play until Game Five and K- Kevin Durant does not come back, the the title was probably in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're Toronto and you get one in Oracle, boy, you got a real shot. I mean, if, 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 if Clay doesn't play, I think they might get two. Well, then it's over. Right. And cause, because they're going to zero in on Steph Curry. Like, like, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are like the kind of perfect symmetric pieces in terms of like when you have to worry about two of the greatest shooters ever, it, it, it's almost impossible to defend. But, man, if you only got one of them, Curry kind of becomes half of himself because you zero in on him and there's no one else really that can beat you. Like, Iguodala's not beating them. Draymond Green is not beating them. Like, that's a that's a bigger deal to me than the Durant injury because they didn't need Durant. They would have been nice to have Durant, but they didn't need him. Yeah, they need somebody now. Uh, if if Clay's out, because I don't, I don't know who's going to guard Kawhi at this point. Uh, I think that's the bigger story than what they're going to do on offense. Who the hell is going to guard Kawhi? Yeah, and so... That'll be interesting to follow because who's going to guard Kawhi? Um, if he can't play, they may run a little Draymond at him, but I'm not really sure how that works. Like, you can't put Iguodala on him. That that's just not Iguodala doesn't really have the juice left in his legs to do that for an extended period of time. I think you just run a a bunch of different guys at him. I don't even know what their bench looks like at this point with the TV bench. Yeah, and so I don't know. That's probably kind of the biggest storyline going in. So. We got that game. Game three is on Wednesday. Uh, hopefully, be, I'll actually be able to watch that. That'll be a lot of fun. I didn't really get to watch, obviously, last night with an 8 p.m. game. Got home about two. Um, so, do you have the fable the day before the first game, or how does that work? I'm about to. Once we drop this podcast, I'm going to call my boss and figure out what we do about hotels and all of that. Uh, so that'll be fun this afternoon. Um, you got anything else? That was really all I had from the weekend. That's about it. About it. it's kind of, we'll get into some Arkansas stuff we'll figure later this week. Yeah, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Um, big weekend for Ole Miss, busy week ahead. Um, some draft stuff. I'm sure some football stuff will come up with regards to Ely. Obviously, you'll have Ole Miss in a Super Regional, so we'll have all coverage of that at supertalk.fm. We will be back on Wednesday um, for another podcast. So for Colin Brister, 
I am Brian Scott Rippey. We appreciate you listening to this edition of the Rebel Report and have a great day. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.